Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Together in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, I was really moved as I was studying this week and just thinking about what I want to preach, you know, as a, as a pastor uh, who preaches three sermons a week normally, um, I'm always thinking about the next message, and Sunday's always coming. And so as I'm uh, praying and thinking about what I want to preach, uh, I was really just drawn again to this book of 1 Corinthians, um, that it has such incredible, valuable, useful, and pragmatic advice for believers. And I want to continue in this direction tonight. This is a message I've titled, Direction Decides Destiny. So this morning, as we look at the very first verses of this book, we uh, discovered that even though we all start in the same place in our Christian walk, we all start at the same starting line, uh, we start at the cross of Calvary, and we all begin a journey. Uh, but just because you begin the journey doesn't mean that you finish or even that you continue running. Some people will run the race better than others. That's where many times in the Scripture our salvation is described as a race. And how many understand that not everyone who runs in the race runs the same? And that is true of us as well, that some of us get stuck, some of us get tripped up, some of us track through the mud, some of us run the opposite direction for a little while, and uh, the, the race is still before us. The goal has not changed, the starting point has not changed, but the path, the direction that we are going has a great impact on our lives. And I've said many times to people in counseling and, and talking over things, uh, the, the reason that you are where you are today is be directly because of decisions that you've made yesterday, day before, last year, two years ago, right? Decisions that you have made. And, uh, and the person that you are going to be tomorrow, next week, next month, is a direct result of decisions that you are making today. Can you say amen? And so this is the thought from the book of 1 Corinthians that they have found themselves off course. And Paul is going to minister to them. He's going to help them to discover the reasons and to bring correction so that this church can begin coming back into their destiny. Now, this is true both for the good and for the bad. Your direction, which direction you are heading, determines your destiny. This is true every time you get in a car, every time you get out of your house to go somewhere. Listen, how many know you don't just leave your house where you're living and say, hmm, I don't know where I want to go today and go get in your car? That would be pretty foolish, and it would also be a waste of gasoline. <laughs> uh, every time you have a thought to go somewhere, you're going to have directions, and those directions are going to take you somewhere. Every road that you travel on has a destination. Yesterday, we were privileged to go out uh, and spend some time with Andre and Perla, and uh, they, they live out there in Chesapeake, man. And so on the way out there, I'm looking at my GPS, 
and uh, uh, you know I have it programmed in there to avoid the tolls. You know, I'm, I'm one of those guys that you get the toll in the mail, the letter, and you just set it aside. Yeah, two dollars doesn't matter. And then six weeks later, it goes from two dollars to to a thousand dollars. I might be exaggerating a little bit, but because of that, I've got I've got uh, uh, post-traumatic stress uh, because of those tolls that I've had to pay, $100 plus, and so I'd just rather not have to go on a toll road at all. So I've got my GPS program to avoid the tolls. And you know, it took me 45 minutes out of the way to get to, you know, to Chesapeake out there. And uh, I was amazed on the way back, it took us 25 minutes, the same, same distance, but because we took a different direction, it determined our destiny. See, this is true for our lives also. Every road you go on in life, every decision you make is either bringing you closer to God and His will for your life, or it is driving you further away back toward your flesh. How many understand that tonight? So, we're going to look at what direction are you heading tonight. And I want to read one scripture. We're going to jump around a little bit in uh, this first chapter here. But let's start here with verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. One more time tonight. For the message of the cross is is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we come by the blood of Jesus once again, thanking you, praising you for the work that you're doing in our midst. We're praying, God, that you would, God, reveal those areas of our lives that are taking us in the wrong direction. And God, that you would help us to get back on the right track that's bringing us closer to you. We thank you. Let us be open to your Holy Spirit and what he would say in our hearts. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. And so this uh, section of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 begins with an ancient problem that every generation faces. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, once again, we find in verse uh, we find in verse, oh, I'm in chapter 2. That's why it's not familiar. Uh, so uh, in verse 10, this is one of the ways that the church in the city of Corinth has gotten off track. And it is because they are beginning to divide among themselves. In my Bible, it has a, a, a title at the top of this paragraph, and it says these words sectarianism is sin something is at work in the corinthian church that every generation is going to have to face and i believe that we uh, as a culture are currently facing listen to what paul says to the church there he says i plead with you brethren by the name of our lord jesus christ that you all speak the same thing and there, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So what's been going on in the church there in Corinth? One of the reasons why they've gotten off track. One of the problems behind the problem, as I spoke about this morning, is that there has crept into the church a spirit of division. And the matter that was at hand in the congregation was that some of the believers were finding their identity in the wrong thing. Look at verse 12. He says, Now I say this, that each of you who says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. So there were at least four different factions or sects within the church that, uh, that began to have strife and division among themselves. Now, what is this all about, anyway? 
Well, they were finding their identity in who they had been baptized by. So in other words, as, as a, a church leaders have come through, some of them have preached, some of them have made disciples, and as they, one leader after another has assumed a position in the church, that the people who had been baptized by those different leaders, they began thinking to themselves that there is value in being baptized by this guy rather than that guy. So I was baptized by uh, Apollos. No, but that, that doesn't mean nothing, man. You know why? Because I was baptized by the Apostle Paul. Who ever heard of Apollos anyway? No, 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 you don't understand. It's better to be baptized by Cephas. That's what makes you a real Christian, see? And this division, this strife was causing problems in their congregation. You know, it's a good thing that we don't have sectarianism anymore uh, in 2020. It's a good thing that that sectarianism doesn't creep into the church. What is sectarianism? A definition that we can uh, find says excessive attachment to a particular sect or party, especially in regard to race or religion. I want to tell you that uh, the problem that Paul was confronting in the city of Corinth is alive and well in the United States of America here in 2020, the spirit of sectarianism. The report that came back to Paul about this infighting within the church was very discouraging to Paul. It's, uh, it, the word had gotten back to him. Listen, in verse 11, it says, It has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Everybody say the word contentions. Here's what I know. Nobody likes contentions. Now, there are some weird people out there who just thrive on fighting and making enemies out of everybody. Uh, but in, how many understand, in, if we are going to be the body of Christ, then we should be seeking with all of our hearts, our minds, and our souls to be able to minimize contentions. This idea of contentions, the word in the original language, is, uh, is a word that means division, it means strife. In fact, listen to the, the list of sins which this idea of contention is included with. This comes from Galatians chapter 5, which describes for us the works of the flesh. Does anybody understand that the, the works of the flesh are things that we should avoid, right? The works of the flesh is what we're talking about this morning that is opposite the works of the Spirit. So as believers, we should try to go away from works of the flesh. For example... Galatians 5.19, the works of the flesh are evident. Adultery. Christians should not be involved in adultery. That, that's common sense, I hope, for most. Okay, adultery. Fornication. This is not a popular teaching in our world today, but, you know, sexual, sexual activity should be reserved for marriage. I got a, a couple of really small amens on that. But you know, that's still the word of God to this day. Am I right? Uncleanness. Living a Christian, a holy life. We talk, that's the work of the flesh. Lewdness. Idolatry. How many know we ought to be not making idols and worshiping anything besides the one true God? Sorcery. Black magic. These various things. This is not, this is work of the flesh. Hatred is a work of of the flesh and here in the same list of all of those wicked things that if you saw any of those wicked things in my life you would rightly come and say pastor there's something wrong we need to talk right and right here on that same list adultery fornication uncleanness lewdness idolatry we have the word contentions this also beloved is a work 
of the flesh. And this is why Paul begins to call it out within the church of Jesus Christ in Corinth. He says this division, this spirit of I'm on team Apollos, I'm on team Cephas, I'm on team Paul. And then there's another group of really super spiritual guys over there in the corner saying, no, 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 no. I'm non-denominational. I am of Christ and Christ alone. And, uh, and so uh, all of these are intended. Do you know why contention and strife is a work of the flesh? I'll tell you why. Because contention and strife does not seek to exalt anybody else except self. These divisions and sects that had grown up within the church, what they begin to do is to exalt self over others. That's the reason for it. Uh, that I am uh, the reason that I think being baptized by Apollos is better is because the baptism of Paul and Cephas, oh, that just means nothing. So what that does is it elevates myself as I can push others down. You see, this is not how the Christian, the body of Christ, should uh, be acting. Can you say Amen? So this idea of contention, dissension, strife, this is not something that uh, should be happening within the body of Christ. These dissensions were about denominations. And this gives us a clue today why uh, non-denominational churches have uh, so much thrived in the last 20 to 30 years is because there's a lot of people that are turned off by all the little squabbles and politics and fights that arise within denominational churches. That's why. And so rather than uh, take a side and get involved, they rather say, you know what, I'd rather just non-denominational. And do you know what most of the fight is about in the church today? Stupid things. When it really comes down to it, does it really matter who baptized you? whether Paul or Cephas or Apollos, if we were baptized into Christ, then what does the baptizer, it doesn't mean anything. This is true. In the church today, many denominations are divided over the silliest things like should there be a drum set on the stage or not. And there are entire churches that have been split over the drum set. There are uh, contentions and strife over, uh, over silliest things like uh, does the pastor need to wear a tie or does he need to sit on a stool with skinny jeans? And entire fellowships have been split apart over minutia, things that in eternity are not going to matter a whit. What kind of chairs should we have? Chairs uh, that are hooked together, or should we have pews? These are the fights that many churches are having. And in the end, it is meaningless, more than meaningless, it is harmful dissension that brings a spirit of flesh onto the church. Now, obviously that the dissensions that we are facing uh, in our culture, have been multiplied in the past few years. We are divided over politics. Our nation is more polarized and divided now than ever in my entire lifetime that I've ever seen. That the sides are growing farther and farther apart. It used to be that, you know, even in my lifetime, I can remember that Democrats and Republicans can come together and agree on something from time to time. Well, that's pretty rare these days, isn't it? And the reason why, the, the reason why the polarization has happened is because the more polarized the parties are, the more power they gain. They benefit off of the polarization. That's why the news pushes it. And, uh, and because compromise and uh, getting together and getting along and fighting together for one united country, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't raise funds very well. That doesn't help me get reelected. But uh, if you see the YouTube video of this person owning that person, well, I want to donate to that. And so the political realm, the, the media realm, it 
stirs up this dissension and strife. Yes, it does. And we are, very often, we are, uh, we are manipulated by the emotional nature of what we're seeing. We whip ourselves into a frenzy. Social media pushes this, causes us to be dissensioned, to, to be filled with dissension, to uh, push controversy and contention, and uh, especially in a medium where you can say something online that you would never say to somebody's face. When you're hiding behind a screen and a keyboard, it's, something is let loose. There, the inhibitions to, uh, to offend people have gone. And all of a sudden, we feel the li- liberty... Am I still preaching here? We feel the liberty to start a fight that we would never otherwise do if we were just talking to someone face-to-face. This has contributed to an age of division and strife in the current time that we are living in. Divisive. Listen to what Jesus said about this truth. Matthew 12, verse 25. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Is the church going to stand? Is the church of Jesus Christ in the United States in 2020, is the church going to stand? It will be only determined by which road we will choose. Will we choose to allow division, strife, and dissension to overtake us? You know, when we begin to identify ourselves by the small things that really don't matter, this is what causes problems, right? The small things like what kind of music I like, or if I prefer a drum set or no drum set. Or what kind of clothing do I wear versus uh, what kind of clothing do I despise? These are the small things, right? It is the little foxes that cause the problem. It is small things that bring the church to division. It was small things. Who who, uh, baptized you? That's a small thing. In In the long scheme of things, like... Like, we don't even know very much about these people, Apollos and Cephas. We know more about Paul and Jesus, obviously, but it's a small thing. Who is the one that dipped you in the water? What? That's not a big deal, is it? So let me talk for just a moment about what is currently dividing us uh, in our nation, by and large. There is this, uh, there has once again stirred up racial division and strife. I might say something a little bit controversial here, is that my connection to Jesus is more important to me than the color of my skin. I am more defined by my connection to Christ than my connection to my ancestors. Is that controversial? I hope it's not. The reason I can say that with complete surety is because I am a, primarily a spiritual being. God created us different from the animal kingdom. The animal kingdom, yes, we can identify them by their species. Uh, this dog has that color and that shape and that size. But human beings are different because we are spiritual. We are connected to God. That is the definition. And if we begin to see ourselves in that way, then that is more important than our physical characteristics. That should not be controversial, but it has become controversial in our world today. If I look in the mirror and all I see is a pasty white guy, then I have missed out on so much of who I really am. Because who I really am is the person that is connected to Christ. My relationship with Jesus is more important than what color I am because that is the real me. That is the me that is going to live in eternity. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek at the cross. There is neither slave nor bond. We are all one in Christ. Now, I'm not saying that race is nothing. Obviously, we have uh, different backgrounds that we come from and cultures and all of those things, yes, and they contribute to who we are, but it is not the most important part of who we are. These are the things that cause division and strife within the body. Listen to what Paul said to the church that was, that was uh, uh, boiling over with this division over something that Paul's like, this? This is what you're fighting about? He says, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. How can we do this? How can we do this? The early church had it right. It said that they were all of one spirit. They were all of one accord. They were all in prayer together. That did say nothing about their, their socioeconomic background, their racial makeup. Didn't say anything. They were together in the spirit of God. And guess which church was the most powerful? That first church. Because they were united, they put their divisions aside and they became powerful. 1 Corinthians 2, here's where Paul finds his identity in verse 2. He says, I determined not to know anything among you except what? Except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul says, this is not about my Roman citizenship. This is not about me being a Jew. This is not about me taught under Gamaliel. This is not about my background. This is about me in Christ. And there was nobody who fought harder to bring Gentiles into the fold in the early church than that man, the Apostle Paul. He says, I was a Jew of Jews. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And we know that the Pharisees were quite a racist bunch. So he rejected all of that because he identified himself in Christ. If we want to be unified, if we want to put dissension and strife aside, we're going to have to learn how to see ourselves firstly connected to Christ. And all those other things will play out. So let's look secondly at perishing versus being saved. There is a very interesting phrase that is used in this verse, verse 18, that we started with. It said, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So these are the two directions. These are the two roads that are available to every person, every believer here tonight. It is the road of those who are perishing versus those who are being saved. Do you know what I love about how this, this language is given to us? It is given in the present tense. In other words, it's saying uh, it's not the road of those who are saved, something that happened a long time ago, versus those who are damned. Those are not the two choices we have. Nor does it talk about... Uh, are the reality of our salvation in the future. It doesn't say those who will be saved versus those who will go to hell. It is speaking in the present tense as if it is an ongoing process. So the, the choices we have tonight that Paul has given us, these roads, these destinies that he has given, is either we are being saved, we're in the process, or it is the the, 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 the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So there's some powerful truth here tonight. What does it mean, the road of being saved? So let's talk about salvation for a second. We, we, just, just think about this salvation that we are experiencing, that we have experienced, that we are now experiencing, and that we will experience. So salvation is not just about the things we left behind, right? 
Salvation is not just, I'm no longer a sinner. Salvation is even more than that. If that's all that it was, if it emptied our lives from everything evil and did not replace it, it would leave us stumbling and defeated. It would leave us impure and unholy, incomplete and imperfect. But listen, God wants to do more than just rip out all of the nasty stuff of your life. Salvation also includes this positive view of adding things to your life that you desperately need. When God saves you, he doesn't just blot out the memory of the past, but he begins to pour in things, we talked about this morning, the grace of God. The grace, the blessing of living, the joy that we have in this life of serving God. This is righteousness. It is not our righteousness, it is an alien, it is a, it is a foreign righteousness that comes from above. Salvation is a positive truth. It takes those of us who have been twisted and bent by the disease of sins, and it brings us to a sense of completion. That's what is described here when Paul says those who are being saved. This is the mark that you understand what God is doing in your life. You realize you're not the same person you used to be, but you're also not the person that God ultimately wants you to be. You are being saved. Salvation is ongoing. It's not that you're done yet, right? This, this bun is still in the oven. This process is still at work. Those who are being saved. The message of the cross, for those of us who are being saved, it is life, it is peace, it is hope. To those of us who are in the pipeline, we are running this race. I haven't arrived yet, but I know I'm not at the starting line. I'm somewhere on this road. There is wisdom in understanding that salvation, it's not just a one-time thing. It's also not a future thing that will take place. It's both of those, and it's everything in between. In the same way, think about this. In the same way, those who are perishing are in a process of perishing. Those who are on the opposite road, the road which leads to destruction, it is not a, a state of static existence. In other words, those who are perishing also are not remaining the same. It is a process of perishing. Now, there is hope in that, and there's also some discouragement in that. The discouragement is to say that those who are perishing, if Christ does not break in into a life that is in the process of perishing, that their lives will get worse and worse until the day of judgment. You hear this when people testify about their lives before Christ. And many times you'll hear people say, if I would not have been saved, I would probably be in prison or dead today. Th that is an acknowledgement of this truth, that I, am, that I was on the road in the process of perishing. It was one day after another. So let us not uh, uh, be deceived that the, the sinner that is out on the street not knowing Christ or his salvation is remaining in a, in a state that doesn't change. That the process of perishing is also a process. It reminds me of the story of Pharaoh as Moses comes to bring deliverance to the, to, to the Israelites that are in slavery there in Egypt. And, you know, uh, Pharaoh was not a Christian. Neither was he a Jew. I'm not sure if you knew that. But in the, in the first instance that Moses came and says to Pharaoh, and, he, you know, there's this, this uh, 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 play telephone game, and Mo God speaks to Moses, Moses speaks to Aaron, Aaron speaks to Pharaoh, and there's this, there's this the first time that, that Pharaoh almost seems like, okay, yeah, no problem, okay, we can do this. No, yeah, we can work together. Okay? But 
as the process goes, it seems to me that Pharaoh continues to harden his heart a little more each time there is this interaction between him and Moses, ultimately between him and God. So God is, is, uh, is, is telling Moses, Moses telling Aaron, Aaron telling Pharaoh, and Pharaoh saying, no! And each time Pharaoh says, no, it is a step, another step on the road toward his perishing. See what I'm saying? That his heart gets harder and harder, resisting God, becoming more hardened and more callous against God, until there is a point that is reached in the story where now the, the script is flipped and God begins to say that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. The process of perishing was accelerated in Pharaoh. This is why, beloved, we need to have some urgency for the people that we love. Because just like there is a process of salvation being worked out in your life each day growing closer to Christ, so in the same way there is a process of damnation occurring in people who don't know him. That each day there is a step closer to hell and a step further away from God's grace. It is a process. And that is something heavy and serious for us to consider. That as time goes by, see, sometimes a simple, this is why, beloved, that we as a church and as the kingdom of God, we really ought to focus our efforts on younger people. Our evangelism needs to be directed at people who are 25 and younger. You know why? Because they're still early in the process. Not to say that older people can't get saved. There's people here who were saved at older ages. But I read somewhere that they, they did a survey of Christians. And of the people who were surveyed, more than 80% of them reported that they were saved before the age of 18. Hear that? 80% saved before the age of 18. And that's what is being described by Paul here. The process of perishing. We have to get into schools. We have to get to the military bases. We have to focus. If you know young people around you, that is the time. It's actually before that. This is why uh, we are uh, pursuing this school on the other half of our building. We see this as an effort to make disciples. We got to start when they're five and six years old. Before this process begins to take hold of hardening hearts against God. And this is also why the, the secular atheists so love the public school system. Because they can separate your children away from your careful eye and begin to indoctrinate. So many of the public schools are not about education anymore. They're about indoctrination. And that's why we are investing our time and our effort to have a school where we are glorifying God. We are lifting Him up because we want to expose, we want to intervene in the lives of these children before this process of perishing takes hold. The process of perishing indicates an increasing distance from God, a gradual sinking into depravity. It is the drift downward. And which one is easier? Of course, the process of perishing is the natural process, is the one that takes hold that like gravity, you don't have to help it. How many figured out that gravity still works? That it's much harder to jump up than it is to fall down. It's much harder to get a rocket off the ground than it is to get it back to earth. There is incredible amount of effort required to go up, but almost zero effort to go down. This process of perishing is part of the natural way of life. All of nature tends toward chaos and destruction unless God intervenes. And that is what the, the contrast here, these are the two 
roads that we can choose from. Let me tell you, every day of your life, you are choosing one of these two roads. Either to the process of being saved, which is the hard road, the narrow road that Jesus spoke about, the road that leads to salvation. Or we are choosing the easy road, the one that is uh, uh, so easy and smooth to travel on, but leads to destruction. Both of these described as ongoing processes. See, so important that we catch this tonight. I'm grateful that the Word of God doesn't relegate it to only a past event or even a future event. It includes both and the process in between. So what about you tonight? One of the traps that many believers fall into is that we reach a certain plateau of relationship with God. We, we get to a certain point that our minds aren't as crazy as they used to be, that you know we're not strung out in drugs and alcohol like we used to be. We can keep a job and make a boss happy from time to time now, now that we've got our heads screwed on straight. We can make a living for ourselves and, and have a nice, uh, you know, a nice income and a nest egg and a retirement. And we reach this, this plateau of our, of our lives and we fail to, to remember that salvation is not done yet. Are you still striving every day to be more and more into the image of Christ? Transformed. You know, that word transformed. It's the same word that describes your salvation. You remember when you got saved, how much of your life changed? How radically you were changed in a, just a short amount of time? That was a transformation. But see, that transformation didn't stop just because you were saved for 20 years. It shouldn't have. If it did, you're in trouble. The salvation that we ought to be experiencing should be alive and real in your life. And if it's not, I urge you, search your soul. Search your life. Search for the thing that is holding you back. Many times there are things, how many know this? There are areas of resistance against God that hold us back from growing further into, our, into who we're supposed to be. There are areas of disobedience in the lives of many Christians. This is why the Corinthian church here, that they're not making the advancement that Paul expects from them. He's looking at other churches and saying, well, this church has grown. This church has done amazing things. That church has sent out workers. This church, but the Corinthian church, all they're doing is fighting among themselves. Why? He tells them it's because you are still carnal. You're so focused on things. And, and, and just because we make it, through the years and through time, doesn't mean that you're growing in Christ. The mark of a Christian who is in the process of being saved is that you are changing. I spoke to a, a lady uh, in my job just on, uh, on Friday, and uh, this, this woman was, uh, she, she older woman, maybe uh, in her 70s, and um, I know I say she's an older woman, but here's my grandma who's 97. This, <laughs> so still a spring chicken. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but this, this woman I spoke to uh, went to her house, and, and we were talking a little bit. And she, she told me that she was, uh, when she was working, she was an executive at, uh, at Dillard's. And she had a pretty high-ranking job, and she had many people under her authority, and she was in charge of various departments at Dillard's, this big apartment store, uh, department store, rather. And, uh, and sh she said that, I always used to tell my employees, change is part of life, you better get used to it. And she said, I wish I would have never said that, because now that I'm old, life is still changing, but I want it to stop changing. 
As we were, you know, changing her printer and her computer, and she's having to learn all these new things. She said, the same thing that I was telling my employee, now I have to live by it. She's not happy about that. But you know what? She's right. If we are not changing, if we are not getting better, then we are dying. This is true for the individual Christian. It's true for the family. It's true for a marriage. If a marriage is not growing deeper together in intimacy and in, in, uh, in closeness, then, then that marriage most likely is dying. That's true for a church as well. If a church is not growing, most likely it is dying. That's why the most important member of our church is the newest member. Because it shows that the church is thriving, is living, is alive, is changing. And so my challenge for you tonight is examine your heart. Take a look at the areas. Which road are you choosing? The road which leads to salvation or the road which is on the process of perishing? Let's bow our heads tonight, close our eyes as we bring this service to an end. I pray that somebody would be inspired tonight by the word of God. The Word of God is powerful. It's powerful to examine our hearts. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul encourages us to examine ourselves. To see whether you be in the faith. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. What has been the trend of your character in the last 12 months or the last 12 weeks? Have you been trending toward the will of God or away? Have you been trending away from your sin or back toward your sin? How can we determine that tonight? Well, our scripture that we started with has the answer. The message of the cross. See, the message of the cross is a very polarizing message. The message of the cross and Christ crucified is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, to the natural man, to the man who thinks that he can do it all in his own strength, who needs the cross? Why would an innocent man want to be found in that situation? To the natural, to the unsaved, to the perishing man, the message of the cross is just what? Why? Why would you do that? That makes no sense. But to those of us in the process of salvation, this is the power of God. Why? Because the cross, at the cross, we have the power to be changed, the power to be transformed. And you're here tonight, I want to give an opportunity for you to experience this life-changing power of God found at the cross. You're here tonight and maybe you're religious, but you've never experienced that life-changing power. You've been to church a few times, but you're looking at your life and you're saying, I don't see a difference from a year ago, from two years ago, from five years ago. I don't see my habits have changed. I don't see my desires have changed. Examine yourself. Are you in the faith? Are you growing deeper in spiritual knowledge and in relationship with your Savior? And if not, why not? What is hindering that tonight? So quickly... I ask you, if, if you recognize that your life is unchanged, your life is not glorifying to God because the cross has been neglected, and what, what we must do is acknowledge that truth in our lives tonight. If that's you, I would love to pray a simple prayer and lead you to salvation. If that's you, can I see your hand tonight, unsaved or perhaps backslidden, your Faith has grown stale. 
like a crusty old piece of bread set out on the countertop. And we say, man, my, my faith used to be so vibrant, used to be so powerful. My life used to be changed on a daily basis, but my faith has grown dim and dry. You can be renewed tonight. If you would acknowledge, is that you? Quickly, if you lift up your hand, I want to pray with you and say, but that's for them in your heart. Let me speak to the church quickly tonight as we close this service. Every road has a destination. Every decision you make is either bringing you closer or further away from the will of God. Little decisions lead to big decisions. Little compromises lead to big compromises. And small righteousness becomes big righteousness. I want to challenge this church, I want to challenge every believer here to make a commitment, a recommitment to God. And that is, Lord, I'm not going to grow stagnant. I'm going to do the hard work, the digging down deep of my soul to discover those things which are holding me back, those small areas of disobedience, those thoughts that I give my mind to which cause me to be impure. I'm going to dig deep down and I'm going to say, you know what, I shouldn't be watching that show or listening to that music because it is causing me to be defiled in my spirit. I shouldn't give myself to those thoughts or to, those, uh, to that bitterness and unforgiveness because I recognize that it is slowing me down. It's causing the path to be altered. And if the Lord is dealing with you tonight, I want to open up this altar for prayer. We're going to sing a song of worship tonight. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vvph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.